0: Last time we talked about KDE Connect, or at least that's where we left off, and interestingly, today, I used KDE Connect to find my mobile phone. Yeah, I would misplaced it, and I thought, oh, I remember that I discovered I could find my phone with KDE Connect, so I clicked the locate device on my computer, and my phone rang, and I was able to locate it. And when I picked it up, it, it's the big orange screen that says found it, and you click on that, and it stops ringing, and you're done. It was so easy and so nice. Really, really cool feature. So KDE Connect, quite useful as it turns out. I mean, I already knew that, but, but many, many different ways it is useful. Now we got a a list here, a whole big list of things that I can just, we're going to fly through. Because uh, there's not a whole lot to say about a lot of these. I mean, at least not for me. If if this was a KDE developer podcast, I'm sure there there would be quite a lot to say about these. But I, I don't have a whole lot to comment on. So the the first one in our list is KDE. No, K Decoration looks like KDE Coration or something, but it's actually K Decoration, and K Decoration is a library set for uh, theming KWin. KWin being the part of the plasma desktop that displays windows kwin um so the the fact that you have windows on like little application windows on your desktop that's kwin and You can theme it with K-Decoration, or or rather, you can theme it, and the reason that you can theme it is because K-Decoration exists. It it is not something that you would directly interact with. It is not an application that you would launch and then, like, throw in your designs and things like that. There's nothing quite like that. I've never tried theming K-Win myself. I have applied different themes with mixed results. Some themes seem to be more complete than others, some... Um I, I think I think the, the danger in decorating in, in theming a uh, an interface is that there are more edge cases than I think people realize. And so if you don't have your windows configured the same way that someone else does, then maybe there's a little gap here or there between the, the open but the, the close button and the um you know minimize button or something like that. So Yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit messier than you might think it would be. Because on the surface, I I kind of agree. It seems like it would be really, really sort of basic. But I think in reality, it can be pretty complex. Um, The cool thing about decorating... I know I said I didn't have a whole lot to say about any of these, and now I'm just going on and on about K-Decoration. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I actually... I used to try to use a lot more than I do now... Um, just because I, I I I thought it was very cool that you could decorate your desktop or or retheme your desktop, and it is, you know, like in theory, it's very cool, and and in theory, it works quite well. But you do have to be careful of the theme that you are adopting because there can be surprises. But the 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 place that you adopt a theme is in system settings, and then there's a category called appearance. Appropriately enough. Click on appearance and then there's a bunch of subcategories. And the one the, the one that you're looking at initially should come up first and it, it is global theme. Those are the themes, the K decorations. Um, there are at least on Slackware there are four installed by default. There's Breeze, Breeze Dark, Breeze Twilight, and then Oxygen. Oxygen kind of being the the original KDE theme and uh breeze being the i I guess it was it must have been kde um 4.4 no 4.5 i think or maybe i'm just making that up um breeze anyway maybe that was five was that five kde5 maybe uh breeze looks really nice really slick and modern i i love it uh breeze dark is what i actually use But there's a little button down at the, um, the lower right corner of this, this global theme, uh, window, control panel, or KCM, KDE config module, and the, these buttons used to be called, um, what was it, get hot new stuff, or get cool new stuff, one of those two, two things, um, and 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 I loved that because it just sounded so so fresh and so up to date. So you click on what they now just label as um get new global themes and it looks on the internet for themes that are available for your KDE Plasma desktop. And your results will vary depending on um how how up to date your desktop is and so on. So for instance this says the content available here has been uploaded by users like you and has not been reviewed by your distribution for functionality or stability. And that's kind of what I mean. Like this is, um, this could be, you know, you're going to see mixed results here because some people, I think, maybe sometimes hastily upload a theme out of excitement of, hey, I did a thing, and it turns out that maybe they forgot that some people are going to be using a different, you know, whatever uh, you know, um, I don't know, a different icon set than they were, or, or whatever. Um, but there are quite a lot here. There's, um, one from Deepin Linux, which is kind of, kind of nice. Um, there's Arc Darker KDE. There's Arc KDE. Trying to find one that, that sort of, I mean, the Arc series I've, I've seen around for a little while, I I feel, and that, and those are pretty neat. Oh, Amethyst. I I feel like I've seen that one. Nordic Blue, or Nordic Blue-ish in that one's case. Nostalgia KDE, that sounds fun. A simple KDE theme inspired by the Nostalgia 14. Oh, okay. I thought it was like KDE 3.5 inspired or something, but no. Okay, so anyway, there's a bunch here. You can scroll through and download it, and then you can try it out. Now I would caution you that there are um, there are ways to like when you when you try a different theme, sometimes you're gonna find that it'll clobber some of your old settings so if, if you've got your se- desktop set up exactly in just such a way that you like it and you don't want to lose that then i would honestly just create a different account go over to the different account and test out some of these themes first because i have had some cases where, I don't know, it'll be something little that, you know, you shouldn't care about, but of course you do. Um, but yeah, there are lots of nice themes and it's definitely taking a look at because it can be a lot of fun. But as I say, it can also be a little bit, it, you can get mixed results, but it's it's just so cool to think about what if I had my desktop this way instead of that way. And and it can be cool because, I mean, that's part of the fun, I think, of, of having an open source desktop is the ability to make it look truly, truly unique, like nothing else you would see anywhere else. So yeah, take a look at them, I guess. And that's in system settings, appearance, global theme. Now, the next one, and I honest, I promise I don't have a whole lot to say about this one, is KDE D. KDE D as in Daemon or Demon. And this is a little demon that that runs in the background, as demons do and performs a number of small tasks some of those tasks are built in others are started on demand examples include checking for newly installed software checking for newly installed updated uh, update files i don't know what a newly updated uh, a newly installed update file is i don't know what that means but yeah that's what this does kde d now the actual executable installed in this package is called kde d5 and if you do kde d or man kde d5 then there is a man page for it. So it, it does talk about what it does and it talks about how it can be configured and so on. And you you could use the command itself for, um, uh, with dash dash check to check the SciCocca database, updating if necessary, and then exit. So um, the SciCocca database, I'm, I, I imagine we'll talk about it eventually, but if not, I, I might as well maybe talk about it right now um I, I actually don't know what it stands for or like where it sort of comes from i don't know the the, the etymology of the term syskoca but syskoca says according to this man page in fact is a binary cache of service types mime types and services used by k service so in other words the, the 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 reason i've ever interfaced with uh, syskoca is um i'll you know, maybe install something. And for whatever reason, it doesn't come up in the KDE menu. It hasn't happened lately, although now that I've said that, I'm sure it'll happen tomorrow. Uh, It hasn't happened lately, but sometimes, and it's usually when I've done something very manual. So maybe I have uh, created my own .desktop file for some application that I installed that didn't come with a desktop file for whatever reason. So, So no launcher file was included. So I'll create one of my own. I'll put it in... Tilda slash dot local slash share slash applications. And then I'll go to launch it from my menu as normal, but it won't be there. And so then what you could do, should that ever happen to you, is kded 5 dash dash check. And then it, it checks to see if there's anything that it needs to update. And supposedly it, it updates it upon upon your request or, or upon uh, as required, I should say. Now, I will admit KDE 5 I have never actually used in the past. That's not the command I used for Psychoca. The one that I used is k build 4 at the time, and now it's of course k build 5. That I as I understand it just rebuilds your Psychoca database. So it it's not checking to see if there's an update, it just does it. So I would not guarantee results with KDE D5 cuz I didn't know about it until I was prepping for this episode, but it's it's in the same realm of of activity. So that's um, KDE D5, and that's all I have to say about it. Told you I didn't have a whole lot to say about it. This one I have even less to say about, which is um, I'm going to look at varlog packages, KDE E D U dash data. These are shared icons, artworks, and data files for educational applications. So you'll see these assets being used in the educational programs like K-Bruch K-A- um, K-Algebra, Kantor, K Bruch and Artic- K K Algebra, Cantor K K What is it? No, just articulate and so on. All of those applications, and I mean some that we haven't covered yet. K geography, KDE Marble, things like that. Those are all part of the KDE educational uh, package or group, I should say. Sort of, it's, I guess. I think it's sort of a special interest group is what you would is what I would classify it in sort of like Fedora terms or or, or something like that. So it's because it's not literally a package. It's not the KDE Edu package, but it is the a grouping of applications within the KDE project called KDE edu or education whatever and then this one of course our shared is shared data for a bunch of those those applications next up is KDE graphics Moby pocket these are uh, KDE or, or rather ocular support for Moby pocket Moby pocket support for ocular sorry I said that in exactly the backwards way it is Moby pocket support for Ocular. So if you ever have a, a .mobi file that you want to read on Linux, one of those ways is to open it in Ocular. The formatting may not always be perfect. I, I've never actually tried. I know that sometimes I've opened EPUBs in Ocular. It does okay. It's not my choice. It's not my first choice of EPUB readers, but it it, it opens it and you can read the text and look at the images, and so it is it is pretty nice. Uh, that's KDE Graphics dash Mobi Pocket. And that's the thing that lets you look at Mobi eBooks. Which if I if memory serves, I think those are Amazon specific eBooks or something like that. And I don't know if they ever come without DRM. I guess I guess probably they do because um Calibre can translate I think to Mobi. So it, I guess you could find like an independent Mobi file. Um, anyway, it would open up in Ocular. You could read it there. All right, KDE Graphics-Thumbnailers. Thumbnailers for KDE applications. Uh this this is a library that lets things like Dolphin, things like Gwenview, uh anything with like a file system view, it can generate thumbnails, th- thumbnail images of the of the thing that you are looking at because of KDE Graphics-Thumbnailers. Very very, you know, just hugely Hugely appreciated that one. I just, I really think that adds so much to a file system view to be able to just see a little little tiny thumbnail of, of whatever it is you're 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 looking at. I mean, believe it or not, on computers a long time ago, files, the, there was one icon for files and one icon for directories. And that's all you got. You didn't get a quick reference of, okay, well, that's a text file, but what's the first couple of words of that text file? You don't get that. Okay, that's an image well, what's the general, is it an image of a, is it a landscape or is it a portrait? I mean, could I at least see a little, a little tiny representation of what? Nope, you don't, you don't get that. You don't even get prominent colors. It's, it's literally ju- it was just a, just one icon. This is an image file. This is a text file. This is a word processor file. This is a folder and that's it. That's all you had on computers a long, long, long time ago. And then they started doing things where you could actually see thumbnails of of images, text files, font files, SVGs, all, all the files, uh, videos. So it's it's pretty cool uh, that we have that. And it is, I think, one of those things that's pretty easy to take for granted, because I, I feel like it's pretty common these days, but, uh, you know... It's kind of nice to have now. Uh, and you think about how it used to be, and it becomes really nice. Okay, next after KDE uh, thumbnail Thumbnailers is KDE Libs Support, or Libs for Support. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, KDE Libs for Support. This, as you can probably guess... Supports legacy support for KDE4 libraries, um, and that includes things like code and utilities to ease the transition from KDE uh, library for the KDE4 libraries to what we call KDE frameworks 5. And this is stuff like uh, C macro, uh, CMake macros, C++ classes, whose functionality might have been replaced by code in CMake cute or or some other framework. Um so yeah, that's it's it's quite a lot of stuff. Um and you can only imagine how much how much um that must help a developer trying to port their application from 4 to 5. I'm sure a lot of that work has been done by now. This is probably falling out of usefulness. I I would imagine I could be wrong. Um but but for a while I can only imagine the amount of work it must have been. And I think that's the most, for me, I, I feel like that's the most painful part of maintaining an application is when the language or the framework that you're using swaps a bunch of stuff out from under you. And it's really hard, I feel, to kind of understand and comprehend why something changed. You know, it, it always gets me when a function changes its name from or, or even its name and syntax, really, even though I understand deep down that uh, there's probably a good reason for it. But, you know, I was using Selenium the other day, Selenium, whatever it's called, the, the web uh, automation framework thing for for Python. And there there's a, a, a find element by type function or that's what it used to be called anyway, a find underscore element underscore by underscore type, or, or whatever it was, by class, or... No, I think it was by type And No, I think it was by class, and then... But, but now... And then they changed it to find underscore element, and then you parentheses by dot some type comma the, the thing that you're searching for. And... It wasn't the most impossible change to make, but if you have it a lot, you have to go through and change all of that stuff to to the new format and or the new syntax rather, and that can be a lot of work. But I understand, like you know, the, we're just seeing the front end in 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 a way, and and I'm sure there are lots of great reasons for changing things somewhere else, but it can be frustrating, and I think that's one of the one of the frustrating things I think of being sort of a i not a full-time programmer, is that sometimes you go to your code that, you know, is working fine, but now a bunch of stuff has changed and you have to go change your code. So that happens, and KDE lib support probably, or lib4 support, probably helps with that kind of thing. I don't know exactly what it does, but helping people port stuff and update it is always a, a useful, useful thing. Anything that, that makes that process more efficient or less painful is quite nice. Okay, next is KDE network file sharing. This, the description, written presumably by Slackware team, uh, this, the description says that it is a, quote, conqueror properties dialogue plugin to share a directory with a local network. And I think the, the term conqueror here, so a little mis- little bit misleading because it doesn't. It's I, as far as I know, this does not just refer to a Conqueror Properties dialog plugin, unless deep, deep down in the code, this is still referred to as a Conqueror Properties dialog. As far as I can tell, though, it is called a KDE service, or a KDE, yeah, KDE services. A system service is what it's actually referred to. And it is part of sort of the org.kde.filesharing.samba.service dbus um, plugin. And so really, this is just a KDE Frameworks 5 properties dialog. You see this in Conqueror, it is true, but you can also see it in Dolphin. And you see it when you right-click on a folder and select properties. You see general tab, permissions tab, share tab, and details tab. Share, that's that's the one. Now in this case, I don't have a Samba setup set up. I don't I haven't set up Samba on this computer, so it's not offering me anything. But normally, or I shouldn't say normally, if you have a Samba server set up then and that server doesn't have to be like a server server like on a rack somewhere it can be an internal server running on your machine if you have that set up then you can choose to share a directory over Samba with other computers that have access to to your computer Uh, again through through the Samba service so that's what that's referring to it's a library to make that possible and I, I have not personally used it lately. I've used it before, but not not lately. I've used it at a setting where a Samba server makes sense. Just for my home network, I don't don't tend to really require a Samba server. I can just use file systems over SSH. So that hasn't been something that I've necessarily needed. What I do need, and what you probably need, is a cup of coffee. So let's go get one. We'll come back, finish up the show. I've got coffee it's great it's so good this is the bomber coffee still and i think i finally figured out the right brew method and and time and quantity ratio of coffee to water all that other good stuff and it is just so good so i take everything back that i said before although you know what i still think i think milky is my favorite uh from from flight coffee so far but bomber has definitely sort of redeemed itself in some ways. I, I just hadn't, I didn't quite have the the right method originally, but it is good. It's quite good, and I have enjoyed it. And that's what I'm drinking right now. Now the next thing on my list, uh, on the list of packages, is KDN Live or Kaden Live. N- nobody knows how to say it. K-D-E-N-L-I-V-E. K-D in Live, KDN Live. It is a video editor. And I'm going to hazard an assertion here that it is the best open source video editor available. Let me qualify a couple of things really quick in case you don't know uh, my background. I used to work in film. I, I went to film school a long time ago, dropped out, never got a degree. It's not worth it. If you're ever, if you're if you're listening to this and thinking about going to film school, do not do that. Just go into film um, make films, go into film, don't go to the schools. It, it's a waste of money. So that's my opinion. Uh, so I, I got into film and I was working in film just as a normal person off the street. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, I, I don't know about the upper echelons of film making. Maybe if you're born into that business, you get, you get better avenues to better pay. Uh, but as a, as a, as a normal worker, just kind of, Scraping my way into that industry, in as I did, uh, I I did a lot of different jobs, as you typically do. Like if if you know film, then one of the things that you you often find yourself doing are 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 you know you'll just crew in in lots of different capacities, whatever capacity they need, you'll sign up for that, uh, and it's it's a lot less of signing up as trying to get someone to sign you up because you have to make contacts on the inside and they have to have faith in your work ethic and and they also just kind of have to like you and then they'll maybe hire you to their crew it's a miserable existence i don't recommend it to anyone it's you know i got out of that business for a good reason and it is because the the business side of it is is really pretty sketchy and and i say that from from having been a lowly production assistant to a light the crew, lighting crew member to um, all the way up to po- well certainly a lot of post production and that's I guess what's really relevant here is the post production work as well as the vi- visual effects work that I've done on on a fair few movies so the post production work is where all the editing happens that is where all the footage has already been shot you have it on a hard drive or on tapes or whatever system they're using these days i think it's pretty much all on hard drives um and and you edit the footage or somebody edits the footage together and interestingly the editing process itself is not a straight shot it is not you don't hand over the hard drive to one person I mean, on 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 some shows you do, but generally, like if we're looking at sort of the way it's supposed to work, it is if everyone has everything that they they should have, you don't hand over all the footage to one person and say, okay, go go away now, come back with an edit. That would be the editor, but that editor's time is um, valuable, and you don't want to hand that editor. All of the footage, and and have to, and let them sort through it all, and throw out the bad parts, and all, and and so on. So, what will often happen are there are there are editor assistants who have to sort of pre process the pre process the footage in some way, and and sometimes that is literally finding out what the footage is, uh, because not all the times is the footage exactly planned. So, for instance, on quote unquote reality TV uh, shows. They, they they don't really know what they have. They've shot so much random stuff that they then need someone to look through it all and kind of flag the moments that match up with the producer's idea of the story that ought to be told. And then the editor comes in, looks at that processed footage, as it were, you know, that that parsed footage, and, and they can assemble it in the way... Or maybe there's even another editor in front of them who does a rough assembly as they call it, and then maybe the editor comes in to touch it up. Other times, certainly, yeah, you you got one editor on the team, and you just give them everything, and they just have to do everything, but generally speaking, that's the process, is that someone, you you get the footage, someone looks through the footage and processes it all, and then someone assembles it in some way, and then someone assembles it again, because that first draft probably wasn't perfect, so you go through and make a little couple of you tighten up the edit, you, you modify it a little bit here and there, and so on. So that's that's the editing process in general, and it is one of those things where you need a lot of structure, a lot of record keeping, you need a lot of known entities. You don't you don't just throw footage into your video editor unlabeled, unnamed, and so on. You you do it hopefully with some semblance of organization. So that's a a Really important part of being able to edit a show. And another part of the equation there is that your project is separate from your, well, your your style is separate from your content, as they say in web design. Meaning that you should be able to edit a, a show with footage on your machine and then send your edit to someone else and they should be able to load that up with footage on their machine. Now why would you want to do that? Well, maybe your machine isn't as powerful as it needs to be to edit a, I don't know, a 4K uh, movie. Because editing is quite intensive. Um, But you could down res it to something smaller and edit that, and then you could swap out your smaller version of that with something higher res f- just for the render, just for the final export. So that's quite impor- important. And and certainly if you're working with a lot of different people, it becomes inefficient to pass around a whole hard drive of footage. It becomes a, a lot more efficient to just hand out a project file that knows generally where to look on a hard drive for the footage that it should be playing when it's when you press play, and and then you've got you know tiny little editing files that you can send around to the different team members without the burden of actually you know copying the whole all of the movie plus all the footage that you're not using all the cut the cutaways or the the uh the stuff on the cutting room floor off cuts is what i was trying to say okay so editing in in a professional setting can be quite a sort of a, a big deal now on one hand, it is a valid thing to say, yes, it is a big deal. There, It's very complex. Because it is. that It's a very complex process. But on the other hand, a lot of times I think people sometimes can overthink editing. And it's important not to confuse the process of editing, like when you're sitting in front of your computer, moving your mouse around, clicking on a little digital representation of a film strip and making cuts and moving one shot in front of the other, and so on. That's not that complex. I've done that with FFMPEG. Like, I've actually edited stuff on several occasions without a GUI, without a graphical representation of what I was editing. I mean, that's not entirely true. Because you'll you'll fire up the footage, you'll look at it, you'll get a timestamp, and then you'll fire up the other footage, and you get a timestamp, and then you stick them together. Now you've just edited and you can do that. You can do that with ffmpeg. The only visual representations when you were playing the footage back for yourself to get to get like the, the the second and the millisecond of the point where you want to stop one thing and and cut to a different thing. So um, that's not complex. That is really really easy. It is as simple as cutting out two pictures out of two magazines and putting pasting them side by side on a poster board. That's all video editing really is. But the trappings around that can be uh, quite complex. And there's trappings around a lot of that because um, especially in this day and age where visual effects is a pretty common requirement or expectation, maybe you have footage that you have have shot uh, on video and you need to uh, superimpose an animated um, robot into the scene, or an animated Godzilla, you know, giant lizard or something, who knows? Um, you got some kind of fictional element that you want to put into that scene. So you filmed it probably against a green screen, and you're going to key out the green and put a little city behind it, and you're going to have the robot or the Godzilla come on screen, and, and so on. So now your video editor needs to deal with that, but it's it's quite likely, again, in a, a, a in a professional setting or even a semi-professional, like a prosumer setting, it's quite likely that the person doing the, the clicking to make the video go together is not the same person or, or maybe is not the best person to do the green screen, uh, the keying of the green screen and the overlaying of the Godzilla animation and and so on like they might be able to do it cuz there's software that does that but maybe they're not like the best person to do it cuz there's the ability and then there's the the talent to make it look good so your your video editor ideally will be able to handle that sort of thing but but ideally ideally it will be able to import footage from a specialized software like Synfig Studio or Blender, whatever you're using, to you know now you've you've um you've outsourced that, and now you're bringing it back in, and your your video editing software should be able to do that. It should also be able to import, or it should be able to do instant little effects like I don't know color correction. Uh, when you shoot two scenes, sometimes your video camera detects the light differently because light does have different temperatures. You'll find that tungsten. Well interestingly, sunlight tends to be to read hotter than um than tungsten, and the way that translates actually is uh sunlight is bluer to your video camera because it's about sixty five sixty six hundred kelvin, and tungsten is a mere fifty four uh, uh fifty four hundred kelvin so one looks orange the tungsten looks orange, and the daylight the the sunlight looks kind of bluish. You put those together, and sometimes you know you shoot those one after the other, and, and sometimes that, that starts to look a little bit weird, a little, little bit jarring. Um, or maybe you want that look, and you didn't get that. Your video camera auto-corrected and brought down the color temperature and, and evened it out. But you wanted that sort of stylized look of, well, whenever they go outside, it's, it's cold and, and dark and, and blue, but... When they come inside, it's orange and warm and there's a fire and so on. So maybe you want that. Either way, you got you to gotta introduce that into your footage with your video editor. All of these things and Live can do, and that's the, that's the significant thing, is that I, I feel like today, in 2022, sticking video footage together is not the complex process. That's the easy part it's all the trappings around it. And I'm not saying that there aren't other open source video editors that can do that. In fact, I'm in fact I, I know quite quite comfortably that that's that there are several that can do that. But if you want sort of like the whole package, then Kdenlive is is really in my opinion like kind of the 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 I can't even say the only one actually that gives that anymore. I can't even say that. It's it's the it's the one that seems to understand best what the different use cases of video editors might be. So if I'm looking at Kadian Live and thinking about its strengths, I would say that the interface is intuitive, and that's true if you've ever used any professional-style editing application, but also, you know, again, in 2022 uh really any video editor like if if you're familiar with the concept of video editing which a long time ago a lot of people were not like they're just completely they would look at it and not even know where to start i feel like in general caden live is relatively intuitive for anyone who understands the concept of video editing are the advanced features necessarily um intuitive probably not there's a lot of things that I think almost assume a a pro level understanding of a pipeline where a desktop user is going to sit down and just think can't I just right click and generate I don't know sparkles or a, you know a, a little cat's face and ears on on my kid my kid's face or, or whatever people do in video editing applications these days like I don't know you know I don't know what people really want from a video editor, just kind of for fun. And for that, I, I think that, yes, there might be something better than KDN Live, I, I possibly. Again, I don't exactly understand the, the target there, but I think maybe OpenShot would be the way to go for kind of super casual video editing. But if you have a, the concept of a project, of a video editing project, then I, I think KDN Live is probably the way to go. So the other strength, a, another strength, the way you work in Caden Live is natural and flexible, allowing you to use both major styles of editing. And that means you can cut by the numbers, like by time code, or you can just wander around with your mouse and click and cut and stick things together. And I, I highlight that again because in my mind, editing in a professional setting, um, very, very frequently people are cutting by by numbers, by literal numbers, and they they have notes from the editor. Or from the director, or whoever has the the, the sort of the the power the power of of editing decisions in the scenario, and it will say in shot, you know, three A cut out at zero 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 one three one, and then cut over to shot six B at zero five or zero 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 five twenty to whatever uh, and, and then and you know that's exactly when you need to be out and when you need to come back in and, and and you've got that those sort of you've got numbers, time codes, things like that lining up. But it is equally as likely as someone I mean even professionals will do this. I mean they will just kind of mouse around and just kind of feel things out, figure figure out what looks best. So both of those are important. And both of those are equally valid workflows for Kden Live. I think for something like OpenShot, the tendency is to assume that you want to just mouse around. You probably don't have anyone telling you that you have to cut in and out of this shot at this time and that time that's not the the assumed workflow the the assumption is that you're going to just be messing around with a bunch of footage you'll have it all over your timeline and you'll stick it together at some point and get rid of the excess and it'll all work out the other strength of Kdenlive live is that it has plenty of capabilities uh, beyond just cutting up footage it can do all the extra stuff the visual effects it can do masks it can it can do compositing it can do color correction it can do offline proxy editing and so on. Now if I'm looking at the weaknesses of Cadian Live, I'm going to say that uh it sounds like a a bit of a cop out, but the one of its greatest weak weaknesses is also its greatest strengths, which I know that sounds ridiculous. it sounds like I'm a you know one of my 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 biggest weaknesses is that I care too much. But yeah, really one of the weaknesses of Cadian Live is that it it is shockingly adept at being at being uh able and sort of willing to To deal with whatever you hand it. So, for instance, if you are uh, you, you're editing something and you think to yourself, "Well, I think I'll just edit this MP3 file," Caden Live will let you do that. Now, I mean, that's technically fine, but just understand that that that's not optimal, and Kaden Live won't really warn you about that, and it doesn't. It, luckily it doesn't, at least not yet, it doesn't convert that to something uncompressed for you secretly behind the scenes, which a lot of editors do, and it drives me crazy. So there are, the there, you know, it's one of those things where it's just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean it's best to do it. And so when I'm editing, especially on a big project that really matters, I, I won't, edit even if KD and live will let me i will not edit things like mp3s and aug files i i convert them to flack or to wave and i edit those because there's really not a great reason to edit anything but optimal quality of whatever whether it's audio or video and i say that for a couple of reasons one is because you should always be editing the best possible thing i mean unless you're proxying it you know proxying it um but generally you want to go with the highest quality but then the other reason is just that you're if if you are invoking all kinds of decoders and things like that then you're making your video editor work all that much harder to try to track the time codes and figure out what what happens where and and it costs more cpu cycles certainly to decode an mp3 than just raw audio so consider that when you're throwing things into kdn live because it will let you which is great because don't get me wrong like there are editors out there not open source ones that just can't understand certain file formats they it just won't do it or nowadays it probably does but it does it like secretly in the background and so you don't know what's happening until your hard drive is full and then you realize that you have all these converted files that you never knew existed and you think why didn't you just tell me that you didn't like mp 3s why didn't you just tell me to give you a wave instead but whatever point is you have to kind of think about what you're doing with KDN live or i i i guess i should say you you should think about what you're doing so that's one i guess quote unquote weakness which is also yeah a strength um the other one is that the interface accounts for both you know the ui itself accounts for traditional style of editing as well as um, modern s- style of editing, where you kind of just treat the timeline as your scratch pad. So there, there are a couple of features that I think some professional editors, certainly longtime editors, are going to look for and and don't necessarily have access to. So things that other famous editors would have done or or have the ability to do. You don't have in kdn live Um, and they're little things they're the things that you don't think about and probably a lot of people would never notice that they're not there like for instance can i click on a video clip and just press plus six to extend that video clip by six frames that's a very very common and exactly six it's very very common within um editing and or, or even just plus one plus two whatever but generally it's plus six um it's very common, and Kaden Live just doesn't do that. That's not something that anyone ever thought to do in Kaden Live, and that's that's fine. It's just one of those things where, well, that is something that someone might come to Kaden Live and think, well, surely I'll be able to click on the edge of that clip and just add a couple of frames with my keyboard, because I mean, why wouldn't that be there? Well, it's not there, so that's another weakness, I guess, is that some features inevitably are going to be missing. I mean, and that's just true of of you know, switching from one application to another, the feature set is different. So it's not really a weakness as much as it is, I guess, a potential difference. And then again, if you're someone who who has been using a proprietary video editor and never used that feature there, then you're not gonna come over here to Cadian Live and think, oh, it's missing, because you, you, you didn't know it existed somewhere else, so you won't miss it. So it, it's highly dependent on expectations. For independent uh, video producers, Cadian Live admittedly might be a little bit of of it might be a overkill it might be too much it might be more than you need um then again if you consider yourself independent but sort of on the trajectory of becoming professional or or if you think of yourself as an independent professional then then Cadian Live may be the thing that you want because as with a lot of i guess pro level applications uh, the the real test i think isn't really the application ultimately it's the integration of how of, of how that application integrates with the rest of the pipeline because in no way in any kind of production whether it's video or audio or just publishing it, it does whatever it is there's no way that your application is going to be the only application involved in a process it's just true i mean it, it's practically true of of anything that you're 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 making with with a team of people and and practically everything requires a team of people. And sometimes you are those people. You're the, you know, when you're wearing one hat, you're you're the cameraman. When you're wearing another hat, you're the editor, whatever. But still, I'm talking about n- there aren't and there shouldn't be applications that just do literally everything because that's, we, we've seen that. We've seen that kind of design attempt to, well, we've seen it be attempted and, and it does not work out well. And you can even see even the proprietary stuff has figured out that modularity—that there's a lot of value in modularity—and and that's true of the open source stuff, and and I guess probably arguably always has been. I mean, that's kind of a modularity is a kind of a core tenant. So, KDN Live integrates pretty darn well with other applications, not not in the sense of you can go to the KDN Live menu and click, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, import import all of my audio from Ardour. Uh, my open Ardour session or something like that. I mean, there are ways to hook those together uh, through Jack and stuff, but um, or there used to be anyway. I, I haven't looked into that lately, but um, certainly there is. You know, there's enough there's enough common ground that you could, for instance, export your Acadian Live audio tracks, import them into Ardour or Qtractor or Audacity, whatever you're whatever you're cleaning up your audio with, and you should definitely clean up your audio. Um, then you're, you you know you ex you, you bounce it you, you export it and then you come back and and reimport it when you're done you mute all of your old tracks and you activate the new mixdowns and then you're good to go so there's integration there there's you know there's XML project files so you can uh you can um you can export your project file as uh as XML or rather it is i think XML natively you can also um you can convert it to like an edit decision list or you know other formats that that might be useful to you depending on what you're sending out information to. so your pipeline isn't very rigid it is something very flexible, and KDN Live can slot in there as you need it to and that's important so KDN Live, I, I think is the of all the open source professional open source video editors. I think KDN Live is the most professional that's what I would say it, it is the most pro end video editing application within open source. I will briefly mention other options, not because they are included with Slackware, but because they exist. And since I'm talking about KDN Live, I might as well mention a couple of others. OpenShot, I've already kind of mentioned. That's a good one. Not Again, KDN Live, most professional. Everything else that I'm talking about now, less professional. OpenShot, there's FlowBlade, which is kind of interesting. There's Shotcut, which is I would I would classify that as up and coming, uh, and of course you know there is also Blender, which has made leaps and bounds in its video editing interface. I mean it's still Blender, it's still a 3D editing, a 3D um, modeling application. So take that into consideration, but they 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 have been doing a little bit more with their their editing their video editing um, uh, setup, and it has gotten. Better than it used to be. I mean, you know, amazingly, I used to... Blender was my first choice of video editing for a very, very long time. Uh, there are probably episodes out there of either this show or maybe even Hacker Public Radio, I don't know, where I'm talking about Blender being my my editor of choice. But um, KDN Live has, has supplanted that, <laughs> luckily. Because Blender, while a fascinating, fascinating exercise in user interface design... Um, it never was a hundred percent comfortable as a video editor, I don't think. Um, but it has gotten a lot better now, so you know you could check it out. You could definitely check it out. Um, so Live. yeah, it's it's really really nice. It is it is absolutely the most sort of aware video editor, which is a weird thing to say, but I mean it's just it kind of knows what it is, and and it it very much moves toward being that. And, and it is definitely, it's got that feel, not just like emotionally, I, I'm talking about like the things that it has available to it. It's got that feel of, of being a professional level application in, in very significant ways. Um, there are very few times where I'm using Cadian Live where I think, well, I need to do this task. I can't believe Cadian Live has no way of doing that. that just doesn't come up like it it does it has a way of doing that it may not be the way that i want it to work like there might be some kind of layering problem or oh that element should be drag and drop but i instead have to enter a number or that control knob that i want to dial should be prettier or less sensitive or you know whatever there's always like a a, you know no matter what application you're you're using there's always some little tiny thing that you would change and that's all there is in Kadian Live or just little tiny things that maybe I would change if i had the if I had the wherewithal but overall, uh, Kadian Live is an absolute pleasure to work with uh, it is my my top choice of video editing applications honestly not just open source I'm talking about like if I have to choose what editing application to use, I would use Kadian live um if all Video editing applications everywhere were going to suddenly be open sourced, and I could choose whichever one I wanted. I would have to evaluate them all again (laughs) because I haven't used anything but KDN Live in a very, very long time. But it is a great one, it is really nice. I'm going to say, broadly speaking, the biggest "Quote unquote problem." Wait, are there quotes around problem? No, I'm going to say the biggest problem around open source video editing at this point in 2022. It's not the video editor. It it is, it is the inter. Well, I said the integration, but I, what I mean is, it is the it is it is following the video industry, and that's really 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 difficult. Um the video industry, I hate to break this to you, the video industry does not make decisions based on what makes sense. It makes decisions on whoever has the biggest pocketbook to pay for some new technology that they want to push. And so you get things rising to the top of the video industry that don't necessarily really mean all that much in terms of, like, improvement, but suddenly it becomes the de facto standard. And so anything that doesn't read that file format seems like it's just not even a serious contender anymore. And that's that's always been a problem. I'm really hoping that that becomes less of a problem in the future. I don't know why it would, but maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn someday. But, I mean, that, that. unfortunately, that's that's always going to be a problem. So maybe if you have the most recent video camera with the latest and greatest codec fancy f- video format that no one else can do except that video uh, camera and that one video editor uh, by the same company that sells that video camera or whatever, or that's partnered with it, only they can edit that format. And, and anything else is just not worth even investing in. Well, you know, FFmpeg will eventually reverse-engineer that, and it'll be okay. But there, there is that lag time, and, and that's just a reality of the industry. It's not, it's not something that I would really take very seriously, to be honest. It's a sensitive topic. It feels bad. Like, if you're talking to someone, and they're saying, now oh, I got this great new video camera, you should get one. And you're looking at your one-year-old video camera, and you think, oh, man, this thing's ancient. It, it, I bought this, like... 364 days ago and already it doesn't shoot the the latest greatest video format and my editor wouldn't even be able to understand that anyway that's not that isn't worth that's not real that's that's something that the video industry has imposed that's an illusion that the video industry has created in order to make their video cameras and the latest and greatest video editor look more appealing and they will they will give it lots of bigger numbers too they will make it bigger in every way and you will feel bad about it but there's no there's no reason to feel bad about it. Uh you can shoot on whatever you want to shoot on, you can edit on KDN Live and as long as you're doing your job, you're you're telling a great story, you're getting good shots, you're getting good audio and you're editing it together cleanly, then no one's going to notice. No one's going to know that it was edited on KDN Live, shot on a 1-year-old camera instead of a 3-day-old camera. It doesn't matter. So, don't fall for that. Don't 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 listen to the people who say that open source video editing just can't keep up or that it just doesn't do the things that they just absolutely need it to do. That's not real. What's what's real is that you can tell a story with video with open source. 100% true. Doesn't matter. So Live is a great, great storytelling application. If you're interested in trying something like that, first of all, it's a lot of work. Uh, Second of all, give it a go. Give it a shot on KDN Live. It is well worth it. And, and it now ships with Slackware, which is crazy. Um, you don't necessarily have to use the one off of Slackware. Eventually, this will start to feel old because Slackware is not going to update for another, you know, five to six years or three or two or whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like I said, video industry moves fast. Computer industry moves fast. You can also install KDN Live as a flatback and you'll get the more recent versions of KDN Live. Now, with that, of course, comes the caveat that it's 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 the latest and greatest version. So, has it been tested? Is it reliable? Is it something that you can really really count on? I don't know. It will it will depend on a lot of factors. So, I would you know I I would defer to the stable version as as much as possible, and and, and keep it. You know, if you're if you're using it regularly and you feel okay, well, it's time to update. With I'll, I'll uninstall KDN Live and reinstall it with a flat as a flat pack then you can do that that's fine just understand that you'll, you will want to audition that you'll want to make sure that it's reliable for you before you embark on a big video editing project but Cadian live is great it's really really amazing ships with slackware who would have ever known i never knew i i thought i was the only weirdo using slackware for multimedia stuff but it turns out now everyone can that's it for this episode thanks for listening i'll talk to you next time